0: Welcome to the sermon podcast of Redeemer Anglican Church of Franklin, Pennsylvania. Through every sermon, we hope that you are encouraged by the Word of God and the redeeming grace of Jesus Christ. To find out more about our church, visit our website at franklinredeemer.org. things that I find humorous as I reflect back is um, the importance and the prominence of nicknames, especially in high school. I mean, it, it helps having a wife who's a high school teacher and two boys, one in high school and one in middle school, because as we sit around during dinner or hang out, there's always stories about these different students and often they are referred to by their nicknames and uh, what is also interesting is then whenever i go to school functions and stuff because you know sometimes the nicknames like really fit and sometimes they don't fit at all and i I reflect back on on you know when thinking about this with whenever i was in high school and, and what i find is interesting is is sometimes nicknames stick so much that nobody actually remembers that person's real name. Like there are definitely a handful of friends, like maybe not like the closest of friends, but they were like good friends. I played sports with them and everything else. And I cannot recall what their actual name was. Um, one, of, one of my friends that, that very few people knew his name was, was a kid that we called Big Cat. One, um, he was big. Uh, and then also, just at one time during football practice, um, somebody made a comment that, that he moved fast like a cat. And so he was called Big Cat, but he was also the slowest kid on the team. And so it just kind of, he kind of played with that. And, and I had another friend that most people didn't know his real name. Um, he was uh, a very, very large Polish kid. Um, and so people started calling him Bubba um, because we thought he looked like a baba i don't know um, and then he uh, one time had uh, had eaten six large bowls of halushki in one sitting and so then his entire high school career he was babalushki um, and so that i mean but it's interesting like because you see like with the nicknames and sometimes they fit sometimes they don't sometimes they're like yeah, yeah i'm proud of that nickname and it's like sometimes they're like well how can i ever get rid of this nickname and I was thinking about that as we go back to this same passage again that we looked at last week. Yes, there was not a glitch in the matrix. Um, we are we are doing the same reading again uh, because there's a figure within. This story that is absolutely central, I, I think actually might be one of the most significant figures in all of Scripture that, that we would gloss over in, in this passage and often gloss over in other passages. He's extremely significant, but also fades into the background at many times. And what is really interesting is no matter how, despite how significant he is, Most of us don't know his name. It's Joseph. But we don't know Joseph. Because we only know him by the nickname that the church gave him. Barnabas. And so I I, want to look at just a few verses here and take a moment to reflect on Barnabas. His significance and importance but also, what's the type of man that would get that type of nickname? And so, just jumping right in, I, I, we're, we're going to really focus on verses 22 through 23. So I'm, I'm going to read that again. It says, the report of this, which was the preaching of the gospel going to the Hellenists, pagan Gentiles, as we talked about last week. It says, as this re- the report of this came to the ears of the church in Jerusalem. And they sent Bar- Barnabas to Antioch. When he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. And he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. i uh, read 24 also. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. And a great many people were added to the Lord. Just to note something first within this is there's this statement. It says, for he was a good man. Seems kind of innocuous. You know, kind of like there's Barnabas. And he was a good dude, you know what I mean? And it just seems like kind of a normal statement. But what's wild is that this is the only place in the New Testament that somebody outside of Christ is referred to as a good man. Now, we know that Barnabas was clearly not a perfect man. He was a sinner still in need of grace. But it should cause us to ask the question of what was it about Joseph, Barnabas, that Luke would decide in his commentary to refer to him as a good man. I think there's a lot of different factors that we could look at, but I I just want to pull out primarily two. The first we see in this passage was where Barnabas found his joy. It says that when he came and saw the grace of God, he was glad. Another translation could be he rejoiced. He was filled with great joy. And now, this is significant if we remember why he was sent. He was sent because there were many in Jerusalem who were skeptical about the grace of the gospel extending to these godless pagan Gentiles. There were many who saw the grace of God redeeming those types of people and they were not glad. They were concerned. Some of them ticked off. We actually see this tension and battle now working its way through the rest of the New Testament. Of those who are hearing of the grace of God, bringing in and redeeming these different types of people that God is not supposed to bring in and redeem. And they get sent out to cause issues within the church. And Paul has to write letters. And sent and battling with Paul and Barnabas and others. Because they saw the grace of God, but they definitely were not glad. But not Barnabas. See Barnabas's heart was centered on the gospel, and for him, his joy was seeing the radical grace of the gospel taking root in the forgotten, the rejected, the outcasted, those whom even were seen as enemies of Christ and His church. But this commentary of Luke is not just a, just a one time commentary, but it actually is reflected as we read through Acts of Barnabas's ministry within the church. If you remember a while back, back in chapter 9, when, when after Paul had, had, had received his baptism, it said that Paul went into Jerusalem to preach the gospel. But then it also notes that the disciples were afraid of Paul. And they kept their distance from him. Would not welcome him in. And so those apostles, instead of rejoicing in the grace of God, spreading even to one who had persecuted the church, they were afraid. And honestly, you can't judge them. This dude was just on a rampage to try to destroy the church. This dude had just stood over watching Stephen be killed. And it's understandable why they were afraid. But Luke records that there was one, Joseph, Barnabas, who went straight to Paul, and he records that Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared to them how on the road Paul had seen the Lord, who spoke to him, and how at Damascus he had preached boldly in the name of Jesus. See, Barnabas found such great joy in seeing God's grace go to whomever, whether it be the pagan Gentile or the religious Pharisee like Paul. When he saw that grace, he was glad and immediately went after it to bring him in. We see this again with another figure, John Mark, who's commissioned with Paul and Barnabas, to go and be sent on the first mission wave to the far reaches of the Roman Empire. But we also read that immediately after they started into this mission work, we don't know why, but there is something about it that was just too much for John Mark, and so he abandoned Paul and Barnabas and went back to Jerusalem. And as you move forward, you'll see in chapter 15 that a fight breaks out between Paul and Barnabas. Because as they are deciding to go to Jerusalem and then do another wave of mission, Barnabas said, we need to go and reach out to Mark. We need to give him a second chance. We need to bring him along. And Paul said, absolutely not too much of a risk for the mission and seemed like Paul was still seething over what Mark had done. And so actually a fight broke out and Barnabas split from Paul and said, Paul, okay, you continue on, but I'm going back after Mark because Barnabas was one that just found such great joy. And God's grace extending to those others have forgotten or written off. That God's grace would bring even Mark back into the fold. See, Barnabas's love of the gospel and delight in God's grace that would lead him to be willing to risk his reputation for the sake of showing grace to others. Whether they are pagan Gentiles, whether they are religious Pharisees that are attacking the church, whether they are members of the church that basically screwed over the church. He's willing to go after them. And also, it's interesting, he's willing... To fade into obscurity for the sake of being able to see that gospel of grace spread. Because in this passage, it was Barnabas that as he was the key figure of the church of Antioch, the most important church, the significant church, he was the key figure, a teacher and elder within that church. And what he thinks of is, what about that Paul? He's been lost to obscurity. And we don't understand, the the, as we're reading through the timeline here, there's about a 12-year period between when Barnabas finds Paul and when Paul was first converted. He was lost. And it wasn't a time where Barnabas was like, I'll look him up on Facebook. Like, he had no idea where he was. And he searched this man out. And he brings this man in. And in doing so, Paul becomes the key figure, and Barnabas begins to fade into obscurity. Actually, right after you read about the commissioning of of Paul and Barnabas, it first refers to them going on mission as Barnabas and Saul. A few verses later, throughout the rest of Acts, it's Paul and his company. But that is the heart of Barnabas. His delight was not in the recognition that he could get. His delight was seeing the gospel. He saw God's grace and was glad. So you have that, that he loved grace. That was his joy and his delight. But also we see that Barnabas was very bold about the truth. verse 23 that we're looking at, it goes on to say, and he exhorted them all to remain faithful to the Lord with steadfast purpose. Now I'm going to jump into some Greek here, um, because I think it is valuable, because there's some word plays happening. See the Greek word translated "exhort." If you go through different translations, each different, like the different translations have different ways of translating this word which usually when that happens is a sign that it's a greek word that is hard for a single english word to capture it has some richness and depth now the greek word to exhort here is the word parakaleo it's a fusion of a very strong word kaleo which means means to exhort to command to call, to follow, and obey. But then there's a prefix that is put before that, a more gentle word, para, which means to come alongside of, to support. And we use that prefix in our English, a paralegal or a paramedic, somebody who comes along to help. And so what's captured in this word parakaleo is this idea of pointing towards the truth, calling upon others to hold faithful to that truth, but doing so by coming alongside as a companion and support to the one you're calling. We were just at uh, uh, the district race for cross-country, and, and, and it just the image in my head, like a, a girl collapsed right before the finish line, and it's kind of awkward, because in cross-country, if you touch the person, they're out, um, and so, like, everybody's, like, yelling, you know, and they're, like, her mom's, like, screaming, like, get up, get up, you know, and she's, like, out of it, and I'm kind of, like, it's not really worth it, like, you know what I mean, like, and, and, but, I was thinking about it, and, and, and the, during that time, like, she just didn't have the strength to get to the finish line, where she was supposed to go, and everybody else was standing around, kaleo exhorting, do it, do it, do it. But a would be like one of those racers saying, forget my time, going back, picking her up, carrying her on her, their shoulder, and saying, you can do this. Come with me. You can make it. And See, what's profound as we see with Barnabas is this idea, like parakaleo, of bold truth, but bold truth out of love and grace. And most often, we all tend to one or the other. In we can we can call and say, listen, you need to get your light frame. You need to start doing this. You need to be reminded of where you're supposed to be heading. Or others that are kind of like, well, I, I want to walk alongside of you. I want to support you. I want to comfort you. And I, I don't want to say those hard things that sometimes need to be said. But we need both. And I think, actually, in our current age, we need both desperately. Because in our current age, we're in an age of online communication. And in online communication, you can well. You can boldly proclaim truth and tell people where they need to go. But it's hard to come alongside when you're standing at a distance. And it's also hard to convey love and deep concern, because love and deep concern is often conveyed through the intangible physical appearance of the other, the gentle touch, the tone of one's voice. And none of that can be seen via online. And so this reality that is often attached to Barnabas, is a reality that we desperately need in the church today. And this term that is often associated with Barnabas, this one who delights in God's grace but is passionate about the truth, able to parakaleo, was so much attached to Barnabas that Barnabas is known by his nickname, Barnabas, instead of Joseph. And another similar word that's tied together with parakaleo that comes from the same root, kaleo, is paraklesis, which means encouragement. And the nickname Barnabas means son of encouragement or son of Paraclesis. was so much part of who he was that everybody forgot what his name actually was, Joseph. And here's the thing is, I could end here, and it would probably make the sermon a little bit closer to the time that I try to get my sermons to be, but I can't end here because the thing is, is what we end up doing is feeling left with this idea of, well, we need to be more like Barnabas. First, you have to ask the question of how Joseph was known as Barnabas. In verse 24, it says, For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and the faith. That for is important. That all of this other description was because he ultimately was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Barnabas was the son of Periclesis of encouragement, joy in seeing God's grace manifest among those who are unworthy, coming alongside them, going after those whom others have written off because he was full of the Holy Spirit and faith. Another interesting wordplay here because full of the Holy Spirit, there's another name given to the Holy Spirit in the New Testament. It's paracletos. Usually translated advocate, but it's actually the noun form of the verbs parakaleo and paraklesis. And in John 14, when Jesus speaks of the one who will be sent to them, he says another parakletos, the Holy Spirit will come. And as you look at the primary work of the Holy Spirit, it's to dwell with us, come alongside us, and parakaleo. To exhort us by pointing us first, pointing us to the first Paracletos, because it says, another, who is Jesus, the one who advocates for us and calls us back to the Father, not by avoiding the hard truths of our sin and rebellion, but by coming alongside us and paving a way for us to return. Not simply commanding us from far off but in many ways that we might be carried like the runner stopping to help the fellow runner who can't make it. We have Barnabas full of faith because he's full of the Holy Spirit. It's the Holy Spirit. is the paraclete. The one who fully and truly does within us and through us what Barnabas had begun to be known for. And that's the thing, is is we often look for the fruits of the Holy Spirit. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. And those are our evidences of the Holy Spirit within us and important. Often others emphasize the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Faith or healing or prophecy or teaching. But at its core, one... Who is filled with the holy spirit is one who is filled with the paracletos the one who comes alongside us to convict us but also to comfort us and to point us to the grace that is ours through christ and the work that the spirit does in us he also does through us so we have joseph a very significant figure but is usually a supportive figure and I love the fact that most of us don't know his name. We only know his nickname. Barnabas. Son of encouragement. Son of Paraclesis. Because he was in some ways the son of the Paracletos, The Holy Spirit. In this ministry of Barnabas this embodiment of the work of the holy spirit within the church not perfectly because we actually we have passages even in acts they usually talk positively about barnabas but there are places where he falls short because he's a sinner dependent upon grace but i think he realizes that that's why he so delights when he sees god's grace was so central and significant. I mean, the church could not do what it, could, what it did without the Holy Spirit, but in many ways, the church would have, would have likely never gone and expanded the way it did without the Holy Spirit working through Barnabas. The church needs Barnabases. I mean, it's a ministry that we all need. Both for us, But it's a ministry that we all need that working through us by God's grace, by the Holy Spirit, we can provide it for others. I Think of in Hebrews, Hebrews 3, the author says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort, parakaleo, one another every day, as long as it's called today that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. For we have come to share in Christ, if indeed we hold our original confidence firm to the end. Scripture says we need that every single day. A coming alongside to comfort through grace, but a willingness to also say the hard things that need to be said. Why? To point us to that faith and confidence we have in Christ that we would be able to hold firm. It's what it says that the Holy Spirit is sent to do, to point us to Jesus, that we might hold firm to him. So it doesn't really matter what your high school nickname was. It could have been a really embarrassing one because... It actually reflected something about yourself. It doesn't matter because we are a new creation in Christ. So, first and foremost, we get a new nickname Christian, children of the Most High. And I don't know what your nickname would be in the church. If we all just said, like, hey, part of our, our, our practice, I'm kind of really glad this this isn't an ancient liturgical practice that we have to follow where we all sit down and nickname each other. Like, but I don't know what yours would be. I'm kind of afraid what mine would be. <laughs> but I think the prayer of us all should be that by grace through faith, Christ working in and through us by the Holy Spirit might enable us to be marked in some way by the nickname Barnabas. Sons and daughters of Paraclesis, Sons and daughters of the Holy Spirit are Parakletos. That we might be ones who delight whenever we see the grace of God manifest anywhere. And we come alongside others through love and encouragement to point them to the truth that is found. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Thank you for listening. Stay tuned for upcoming sermons, and consider joining us in person for Sunday worship. To learn more, check out our website at franklinredeemer.org. The mercy, my God, is the theme of my song. The joy of my heart and the boast of my tongue. to the last